are certainly glad to have Wade Webster with us tonight, one of the men that we help support. His work primarily is Mexico and uh, down in Central America area. And uh, many of you know him, and uh, we're certainly glad to have him. I had called him some time back about uh, being with us last Sunday, and it wasn't, he wasn't able to. He was beginning a gospel meeting, and uh, lo and behold, he showed up here today, today so we're going to listen to him tonight. So come on, Wade, and preach to us. Someone has said that we have three options when it comes to the Great Commission. We can go, we can send, or we can disobey. And really, the third one is not an option, because we're not going to disobey God. So that leaves us two options. We can go, or we can send. And I am privileged to be able to go, and I am privileged to have you as a congregation that sends me so that I can go and preach the gospel overseas. Someone has said that the Great Commission has become the great omission in our world, and I think that's largely true. But it's not true of you, because you're still carrying the gospel to the whole world. And I thank you for that. I want to give you just a, a couple of minutes' worth of information about my work, and then we'll have a lesson from the Word of God. I know you came tonight to worship God, and so that wants to be, I, I want that to be our primary focus tonight. I have been on seven mission trips this year. I've been to Mexico three times, both north, south, and central Mexico this year. I've been on two trips to Nicaragua one trip to Costa Rica and one trip to Peru uh, already this year. So far this year, I've been privileged to be a part of 29 baptisms and about nine restorations. I wish that number were higher, but we're working, and hopefully uh, with, with the Lord's blessings, we'll be able to do even more uh, in the coming year. We are privileged to study the Bible with a number of individuals overseas on the trips that I'm a part of, we're privileged to be able to encourage brethren and strengthen them in the most holy faith. Not everything that I do overseas is glamorous, but I trust that everything uh, that I do overseas is important, and it leads to the salvation of souls. Uh, we, we have really no understanding of just how hungry the world is for the gospel. I was on a trip in the first part of June of this year. I was in Granada, Nicaragua. And we were door knocking in the area of the church building where the church meets there. And I did not knock on a single house that whole week that was unwilling to sit down and study the Bible with me. And it took me until about Thursday, about five days into my trip on that occasion, to get out of sight of the church building. Because everyone around the church building was willing to sit down and study with us. Now, not all of them were good studies. Not all of them led to someone being baptized. But they all were willing to sit down and open the Bible with us at least for a little bit of time. And so we're thankful for the opportunities that God has given us. And we're thankful for the opportunities that have been made possible by you. Tonight, as far as our lesson is concerned, I want to ask you a question. What is the most valuable thing that you have? What is the most valuable thing that you have? Some might name a material thing that they have. No doubt some would suggest that their house is the most valuable thing uh, that they have. And certainly houses are very expensive and they're very valuable. We're going to pay on them for maybe 30 years. And so they are among the most valuable things that we have. The Bible even speaks of them as being valuable 
In Mark chapter 10, in verses 29 and 30, Jesus is going to say that no man, having left houses or brethren or father or sisters or brothers or lands for his sake, but that they would receive a hundredfold in this world and in the world to come, life everlasting. But Jesus certainly understood that there were those that were giving up very valuable things. Valuable things such as their houses and lands and valuable things such as their family members in order to become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so houses are very valuable. But they're not the most valuable thing that you have. Somebody else might say, well, you know, it isn't really a thing at all. The most valuable thing that I have is my good name. My name has been handed down for generations. It's a name of honesty. It's a name of integrity. You know, my great-grandfather, when he shook your hand, that was his bond. They, that people would loan him money just because he would shake their hand and promise to pay it back. That's the name that my family has, and it's a very valuable name. The Bible speaks of the value of a name. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, Proverbs 22 and verse 1. But a good name is not the most valuable thing uh, that you have. Somebody else might say, well, the most valuable thing that I have is my freedom. You know, my freedom has been purchased at great cost. Men and women have crossed the oceans. They've died in order for me to have the freedom that I'm exercising here tonight. The freedom to assemble, the freedom to worship. And so my freedom is the most valuable thing that I have. And it's certainly very valuable. In Acts chapter 22, Paul was taken into custody on one occasion. And the commander that was keeping him told Paul that he had obtained his freedom at great cost. And Paul explained that he was freeborn. But our freedom, it comes at great cost. But it's not the most valuable thing that we have. Someone else might say, well, the most valuable thing I have is my wife or my husband. The most valuable thing that I have, they're, they're my children. Those are the most valuable things that, that I have. Those relationships are very valuable. The Bible speaks of their value. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. And so if you have a good wife, you certainly have something very valuable. God has blessed you in giving you that person. If you have children, you're very blessed. The Bible speaks of children as a blessing. In Psalm 127 and verse 3, Children are an heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is His reward. And so God gives these gifts to us. These gifts that we know as our children, they are gifts from God. They are an inheritance from God. And how precious they are. They're valuable to us. They are not the most valuable thing that we have. Tonight I want to suggest to you that you could lose every one of the things that I've mentioned up to this point. You could lose your freedom. You could lose your good name. You, you could lose your house. You could lose your husband or your wife or your children. And you would have suffered a great loss. A loss that might take you the rest of your days to, to be able to come to grips with. And yet you would not have lost the most valuable thing that you have. There's something more valuable than all of those things. Let me give you some hints to help you to understand what I'm talking about tonight. The most valuable thing that we have is universal. Every one of us in this room possesses it. We all have it. Every person in the world has it. 
It is not only universal, but it is unique. The one that you have is different from the one that I have, and the one that I have is different from the one that you have, but we both have one, and they're both unique. They're also unending. The one that you have will never end, and the one that I have will never end. We have all of that in common. Maybe by now you've already figured out what we're talking about. We're talking about the soul. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, Jesus said, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul, my soul, is worth more than all the world. I remember there was an occasion when I was sitting on the interstate outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and traffic was stopped, and so I had time just to think. And I was looking around, wondering where the accident was, wondering how long it was going to take us to get going on the interstate again. And so I began to look at the cars that were around me on the interstate. And it's a nice part of Birmingham, and so I was seeing Volvo and Mercedes and BMW, high-priced cars. And I began to just add up the value of those cars. There's 50000 there's 100000 there's 300000 there's... 700,000. I got up to several million dollars in cars that were stopped around, and I was adding my $10,000 car to the mix. But, but we, were, we were counting up all the value of the cars around us. But you know, when Jesus says, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? He's talking about the world and everything that's in the world. And so he's talking about every car in the world, every house in the world, every dollar that's in the world, every piece of jewelry that's in the world, everything that's in the world. If I offered you all of that in exchange for your soul, you better not take that deal. That's a bad deal because your soul is worth more than the whole world, than the world and everything that is in it. We read tonight in Matthew chapter 4 in verses 8 and 9 where Jesus was presented that very offer. The devil took Jesus up into an exceeding high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of them. Now I know that Satan can transform himself as an angel of light. I, I don't think that Satan is beautiful, but he's able to transform himself in a way to where we don't run away from him, to where he is pleasant or pleasing to us. And evidently, the devil was able to show Jesus the kingdoms of the world in such a way that they were glistening, where there was great glamour associated with all the kingdoms of the world. They could not have been shinier, they could not have been prettier, they could not have been more desirable than what they were. And the devil said to Jesus, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. All you have to do is trade your soul and the souls of mankind for this. I'll give it all to you if you'll just accept my offer. How did Jesus respond? It should help us in knowing how we ought to respond. If the devil offers us the world in exchange for our soul, we simply have to look to Jesus to see how Jesus responded. And Jesus said no. Jesus would not take that offer. We should not take that offer. It's foolish to take the offer to exchange anything 
for your soul. Do you remember that Jesus told on one occasion, he told the story of a rich farmer in Luke chapter 12, in verses 19 and 20. He told about a man that had an exceedingly great harvest, so much so that he didn't have a place to put his harvest. He decided that he was going to tear down his barns, he would build bigger barns. This is what he said. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here's a man who's talking to his soul. And here's a man who says to his soul, Soul, you can take it easy. Soul, you have enough to last you for many years. Soul, you know what? You can eat, you can drink, you can be merry. You have everything you will ever need. And Jesus responded, or God responded, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee, and then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? This man traded his soul for all of those things, and God called that man a fool, because it's foolish to trade anything for your soul. We don't possess anything that's more valuable than our soul. I don't know about you, but I don't watch the news a lot. The news is kind of depressing. You know, Mark Twain said on one occasion that if you don't, don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you read the newspaper, you're misinformed. And that's probably true, and it's kind of that way with the evening news. If you don't watch it, you're uninformed, but if you do watch it, you'll be misinformed because they're telling you just what they want you to know. But one of the reasons why I don't watch the evening news is because I, I don't want to see all the bad things that are happening in our world. I know they're happening in our world, but I don't want, to, want it to be, be put in front of my face every night. I don't want to know about the murder here and the murder there and the murder over there and all the bad things that are happening. I don't want to see all the things that are happening to people around the world with ISIS and the things that they're doing to people and torturing people and putting people to death. But I can tell you this. The worst thing that can happen to us is not losing our physical lives. I, I want to live a long time. I'm sure you do too. I don't want to fall into the hands of bad people. I don't want those people to have power over my life. I don't want those people to take my life away. And I can tell you this, that's not the greatest loss that faces me or that faces you. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus said, Fear not them that destroy the body, but are not able to destroy the soul. But rather fear him that's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus says, don't worry about those that, that can destroy the body alone. You be more concerned about the soul, and you be more worried about what happens to your soul. Because the soul is the most valuable thing that you have. But have you ever stopped to consider why? Jesus said our soul is the most valuable thing we have, and so there's no argument about that. But, but what are some reasons why it's the most valuable thing that we have? First of all, it's the most valuable thing that we have because it's made in God's image. It's made in God's image. It's not the physical man that's made in the image of God. When God said in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, he wasn't talking about the physical man. He was talking about the spiritual man because, you see, God is a spirit. John 4 and verse 24, it was when Jesus became flesh that he took upon himself the form of a man. So Jesus took upon himself the form of a man. But we were made in the image of God. That's not physical 
That's spiritual. That's the inner man that was made in the image of God. And so the soul is the most valuable thing we have because it's made in the image of God. But in the second place, the soul is the most valuable thing that we have because it is the part of our being over which we have the most control. We have more control over the soul than we do anything else. We don't usually think about that, but it's true. You know, there are certain physical characteristics that I have that, that I didn't have any control over. You see, I didn't have any control over what color my eyes were going to be. I really didn't have a lot of control over how tall I was going to be or how short I was going to be. I didn't have any control over that. That was determined by my mom and dad and by their mom and dad and by their mom and dad before them. You see, that was a part of the DNA. That was handed down. I had no control over that. You had no control over that. That's one of the reasons why it's so foolish to judge people by outward appearance because they have very little control over that. They didn't get to choose those things. But you know, I have control over my soul. You have control over your soul. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 says that we can purify our souls through obeying the truth through the Spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren. We have the ability to purify our souls. We have the ability to change the nature of our souls. They can go from being spotted to being clean. We have that kind of control over them. We may not have that kind of control over other things. Let's think about something else. The soul is the most valuable thing that we have because of the price that was paid for it. There is ne nothing that has ever been purchased that came at greater expense than what your soul did, what my soul did. The redemption of the soul, we're told, in Psalm 49 and verse 8, is precious. This morning, Mike quoted uh, 1 Peter 1 in verses 18 and and 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And so the price that was paid for our souls certainly tells us how valuable our souls are. Jesus didn't die on the cross for that which had no worth or no value. He died on the cross for that which was of great value to God. That's our souls. But I think we also have to say that the soul is the most valuable thing that we have because it is eternal. It's going to live somewhere forever. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 9, we read that our bodies are going to return to the earth, but our spirit to God that gave it. There's a part of man that's going to live on. It's not the physical part. It's the spiritual part. It's the spirit. It's the soul. It's going to be somewhere forever. But I want to finish the lesson tonight by talking to some different groups because what happens is when we understand the value of the soul, it affects everything that we do. It affects every decision that we make, whatever our role is in this world. It's changed by the knowledge that we possess a soul and that that soul is worth more than all the world. Someone has said that there are two choices that come to man. The first choice that comes to man is heaven or hell. And the second choice that comes to man is heaven or earth. I think it's interesting to consider that. You know, the choice between heaven and hell is pretty simple, pretty easy. Who would choose hell over heaven? That's, that's easy to make that choice. But it becomes more difficult when we're trying to decide between heaven and earth. 
Because this earth has so many pleasures. This earth has so many things that make us comfortable and we become so attached to this earth that it's hard to make the choice. We struggle much more with that choice than we do with the other. Tonight we want to talk to some different groups and what they must do to save the most valuable thing that they have. First of all, let's talk to the person who isn't a Christian and let's talk about what that person needs to do in order to save their soul. Acts chapter 3 and verses 22 and 23, if you'll turn there in your Bibles, you'll find that Peter's preaching the gospel, much as I'm trying to do tonight. And Peter's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. The Lord God's going to raise up a prophet like unto him, and they're to hear that prophet in all things. And then in verse 23, Peter says, And it shall come to pass that every soul that will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. And so if you're not a Christian, what do you need to do in order to save your soul? Well, Peter says you need to hear that prophet, that prophet being Jesus Christ, that prophet being the one that was going to be made like unto Moses from among the brethren. That prophet is not Mohammed. That prophet is not Joseph Smith. That prophet is Jesus Christ. He is the one that we must hear do you remember the Hebrew writer begins the book of Hebrews, a great theological book. He begins that book and he says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God speaks to us today by his Son. That's God's prophet today. That's God's spokesman today. We must hear Jesus if we want to be saved. And if we don't hear him, then our soul is going to be destroyed. Our soul is going to be cut off. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 17 that we have Simon, Peter, Peter, James, and John are there. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus is transfigured before them. And he sees Moses and Elijah with Christ. And so Peter has this idea. Peter says, let us make three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Christ. And there was a bright cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice from out of that cloud, and the voice out of that cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Him. There was a time to hear Moses. There was even a time to hear Elijah. But today the time is to hear Jesus. He is God's spokesman today, and we must hear Him. Now, I work in, in Central America. The countries in which I work are all Catholic countries, predominantly Catholic countries. And so when I'm studying the Bible with people, oftentimes I'm studying the Bible with those who have been raised for generations in Catholicism. And I'll be honest with you, when I was working and laboring in the States, I didn't have a lot of studies with Catholics, but it's the most common thing now. And so I'm learning how to study with Catholics. And, and my, my preaching brethren overseas, I, every time I get a chance, I'll ask them, you study with Catholics all the time. H how do you begin a study? How do you keep a study going? And they'll give me their ideas about how to do that, and it's been very helpful to me. My son was on a mission trip about a year ago, and he was using 1 Timothy 2, uh, 3 and 4, the connection there with forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, that in the latter days some are going to depart from the faith. And so he was using that scripture to show the man with whom he was studying that, that the Catholic Church forbids to marry, the Catholic Church commands the abstaining from meats, and so the Catholic Church has departed from the faith. He was using that verse, and the man with whom he was studying, he said, 
does the, does the Catholic Church know that's in the Bible? And my son said, yeah, I'm pretty sure they know that's in the Bible. He said, well, well somebody needs to go and tell them that's in the Bible. Because he was just so convinced that if that was shown to them, that they wouldn't be teaching those things, they wouldn't be doing those things. He had a good and honest heart. We often study with those who do. And, and I've used those scriptures in the same way, maybe that, that my son was using them. But that's, that's pretty direct, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're right off the bat, you're saying, here's what your church teaches, and it, it's, it's not what the Bible teaches, and, and it's very, very direct. And sometimes maybe that, that's the harder way to enter into a long-term study and be able to convert someone. So I've asked my preaching brethren in Mexico, how do you do it? And, and they, they always give me the same advice, and they say, be very careful what you say about Mary. Because if you say the wrong thing about Mary, the study is over before it even gets started. And I found that to be true. I knocked on the door in Mexico, and the, the gentleman came to the door, and he was very friendly for a couple of minutes, and he found out I was with the Church of Christ, and he found out why I was in town, and, and he said, you don't believe in Mary, do you? And I said, oh yes, I believe in Mary. No, no, you don't believe in Mary. And that was his way of saying, okay, it's time for you to move along. I'm tired of talking to you, because that's a major issue with them. And so I have learned to, when I study with them, to study about Mary. And we'll talk about Mary, and we'll talk about what a good woman Mary was, because she was a good woman. And we'll talk about, out, out of all the women that God could have chosen to be the mother of His Son, He chose this young woman to be the mother of His Son. That says something special about her. And we talk about the respect with which Jesus dealt with Mary and with Joseph. And we talk about the care, even at the end of his life, that Jesus says to John, Behold your mother. So Jesus had great respect, great care for his mother. We always are moving in the direction of John chapter 2 and verse 5. It's the occasion where Jesus is going to turn the water to wine. Mary is there, and Mary sees that they have no wine, and so she brings the problem to Jesus. Now, she doesn't tell Jesus what to do. She just tells Jesus what the problem is. And then Mary says to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Here's Mary telling men to do whatever Jesus says. So when we get to that verse, we're making a transition. We're making a transition from Mary being the authority to Jesus Christ being the authority because that's where we've got to get. That's where we've got to go. If we're ever going to convert this person, they've got to understand Mary's not the authority. They've got to understand that Jesus Christ is the authority and we have to do what He tells us to do. He has all authority, Matthew 28 and verse 18. And so here's a verse where Mary is telling men, you do what Jesus says. Here's what Mary said. Are you willing to do that? And the Bible study at that point can go forward. We have the opportunity of teaching them what the Bible has to say about the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about hearing this prophet. If we hear Jesus, we're going to believe that He is the Son of God, John 8 and verse 24. If we hear Jesus, we're going to repent of our sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. If we hear Jesus, we're going to make the good confession, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. If we hear Jesus, we're going to be baptized, Mark 16 in verse 16, because Jesus said all of those things. If we do what He commands, that's what we're going to do. But let's talk about another group. What about those who are already Christians? What do they need to do in order to save their souls? 
Well, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32, you may want to go ahead and be turning there, is an interesting passage because it talks about the soul. Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11 that we have to abstain from fleshly lust because they war against the soul. We have an example of a fleshly lust in Proverbs 6 and verse 32 where we read about a man that committeth adultery with a woman, he lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. And so as a child of God, if I want to save my soul, then I'm going to have to abstain from fleshly lust because fleshly lust will cause me to lose my soul. They war against my soul. And the man who, who commits adultery, he lacks understanding because he's not thinking about things properly. He's not thinking about the value of his soul and the fact that he's trading his soul for this illicit relationship. This man is destroying his soul. That's a foolish thing to do. I tell people overseas because we have to deal with marriage situations that are not uh, authorized by God. And, and so often we have to sit down and, and tell people they need to make very difficult choices. They need to choose to obey God. And that may involve them getting out of a relationship they have no authority being in. And, and I always try to press the point. There's no woman on earth. No matter how beautiful she is, no matter how rich she is, no matter how graceful she is, there is no woman on earth that's worth losing your soul. Don't trade your soul for the most beautiful woman in all the world because that's a foolish choice. Make the right choice. But a part of being a child of God and saving your soul is being faithful. Hebrews chapter 10 would tell us, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 30, that we're not of those that draw back to perdition, but of those that believe to the saving of the soul. So as Christians, we've got to believe all the way to the end. We've got to be faithful unto death. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Do you remember the story of the Navy SEALs? Uh, SEAL Team 10, it's 2005, they're in Afghanistan, secret mission there, and it goes horribly wrong. And all but one of the 19 Navy SEALs are killed. Marcus Luttrell finds himself face down in the dirt. He's been shot, his back is broken, all of his buddies are dead, and he makes the decision that he's not going to die. He reaches out and he picks up a rock and he draws a line in the dirt. And then he decides that he's going to drag himself across that line. And if he's able to do that, then he's going to draw another line and he's going to do it again. And he does that over and over again until estimates say that he had dragged himself six miles and he was rescued. I want you to understand that I hope that when we enter into heaven, we will enter into heaven full stride, running for all we're worth. But I'm okay if we're out of breath and we just are able to put one foot in front of another and walk into heaven. You know, I'm even okay if we're down on our hands and knees and we're crawling, just trying to get there. I'm even okay if we're lying belly down on the ground and we're dragging ourselves along, trying to get across that line, trying to get to heaven. As long as we get to heaven, that's all that matters. That's being faithful to death. Philippians 3 and verse 14, Paul said, I press toward the mark. Paul had a mark to which he was pressing pressing toward that mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But let's think about another group. What about parents? What about parents? If parents understand the value of the soul, then it's going to affect how they parent. Proverbs 23 and verse 14, the writer of Proverbs says, Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. That's strong language. You're going to correct him 
so that you can deliver his soul from hell. We have to understand as parents that the decisions we make, what we teach or don't teach, and how we discipline or don't discipline, has an effect upon our children. And it can affect their souls forever. And when I understand the value of my soul, and I understand that each of my children has a soul, and I understand that all of these souls are going to spend eternity somewhere, then it affects how I parent. Because I'm going to train them up in the way that they ought to go. Because I want them to go to heaven, Proverbs 22 and verse 6, I, I'm going to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord because I want them to go to heaven. God entrusted them to my care, and I want their soul to be in heaven. I want us to be together there. Understanding the value of the soul affects every decision I make. What about, we'll finish with this one because our time is up. We'll talk, to, I'll talk about elders for just a minute. I have great respect for elders. There is not a more difficult job in all the world than the job of being an overseer an elder in the Lord's church. James A. Garfield said that he was stepping down from a greater position to a lesser position when he stepped down from being an elder, that he might be the president of this great nation. And certainly, an elder is a great responsibility. But when we think about an elder and the responsibility of an elder, we think about Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, where the Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as those that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. When elders understand the value of the soul, it affects every decision they make. Every decision they make, they're asking themselves the question, how is this going to affect the souls that are committed to my care? As I watch for their souls, is this going to make it easier or harder on them to be faithful? Is this going to be an encouragement or a discouragement to them as they try to live for God? This money that we have trust entrusted to us, how is the use of this money going to save souls? How can we best use this money for the salvation of souls? Everything is affected by that. We need to do everything within our power to lift up their hands, to support them in the work that they're doing. We need to be the easiest members they have to deal with. We need to submit ourselves. We need to obey them because they are watching for our souls. They're trying to help us to get to heaven. We ought to be thankful for their watch care. Many other examples that we could notice tonight of, of what individuals could do to the salvation of their souls. But we want to offer the invitation because it comes down to this. You have the opportunity tonight to make decisions that will affect your soul. If you're not a Christian tonight, you can hear that prophet, you can do what he says, and through doing that, you can have the salvation of your soul. We've already talked about the steps of the plan of salvation. If you are a child of God tonight, but you've not been faithful, then you can make decisions tonight that will bring you back into a relationship with God, that will put you back into that right relationship with Him, just like the prodigal who made the decision and came home and confessed his sins. You can do that tonight. Tonight, if you're a parent and you realize, I, I have not been watching out for the souls of my kids I have not been teaching them. I've not been correcting them. I've not been doing that. You have the opportunity to make some changes tonight that will lead not only to your salvation, but to their salvation. As an elder tonight, if you look at your life and you say, you know what, I just have not been giving the watch care that I should have been giving to the flock. Or, you know, I, I just have not been as, as 
conscientious as I should have been about the decisions I make and how they affect souls. Opportunity for you to make changes tonight so that your soul can not only be saved, but you can lead to the salvation of many other souls. So thankful for the opportunity to speak to you tonight. We want to offer the invitation of our Lord and give you the opportunity to respond as we stand and as we sing.